If you've looked up from your own phone as you've made your way around town, you've surely seen it, the painted silhouette of a man slumped over his mobile phone, completely absorbed in its world. It's called The Clone, and it's been stenciled on sidewalks, on electrical switching boxes, and other surfaces of opportunity from coast to coast. Its creator is a Los Angeles-based street artist who goes by the name Thrashbird. He's also crafted more monumental installations. On huge blocks of cement at an abandoned factory in eastern Oregon, he painted his Valley of Secret Values, dead ringer trompe l'oeil images of giant designer handbags. He used old tires to form the Chanel bag's signature shoulder chain. His latest big L.A. undertaking was transforming a Fox News billboard in Silver Lake into its own parody. Thrashbird, who grew up seeing the works of Banksy and L.A. poster artist Rami Canal, has crafted his own work to make his mark and his point. And you take a little snooze, tie him up when he falls to sleep, send him on a pleasant What is street art, and how did you get started doing it? I just look at it as the pure renegade form of the term. Street art and graffiti are kind of separated a little bit differently. So street art was born from just a space where people had something to say but didn't really feel or wanted to sort of make their mark, but they didn't really know how. So they used this new art form of illegally or renegade-like actions in the street of putting up their art. I fell in love with it as a teenager because it just really spoke to me as a way to sort of speak out in a world where I didn't feel like I had a voice or had a place to say anything, it seemed like a way to to interject what I had to say, I guess, whether or not people wanted to see it or not. I love the rebellious nature of it and the sort of, I guess, the way that you could strike back, in a sense, at the culture that you didn't really feel like you were a part of. Maybe the most familiar thing you've done is the silhouette of a millennial with very bad posture slouching over his phone looking down. I call him the the clone. The clone was basically born from me watching everyone, including my friends, in society to become addicted to their smartphones. So I thought it was kind of an interesting way to uh, hold up a mirror to people in society. When I was a kid, that's how I sort of got around school was I would put up my hoodie and I would just kind of shelter myself from the outside world. So I used that as this sort of uh, metaphor that, you know, the world is blocked out. I took the, the photos of myself, the original photos of myself that I made the stencil from. And when I took the photo, I really tried to exaggerate and sort of give this almost like hunchback Igor character, but it doesn't seem like it's so far off anymore. Now, have you gotten any grief over that from your fellow millennials who say we're not like that? No, I haven't really. Um, I think everybody gets the joke, you know. It's meant to have some some humor in it, but also, um, you know, some reflection. And I think that uh, there's no real denying that that is literally how everyone looks. I mean, if you step outside of your house and you look in either direction you're going to see someone who is in that position on their phone. That's just the way that that we all look now. And I'm just as guilty of it as anybody. I don't... You found some challenges in doing street art in Los Angeles because Los Angeles is a city where signs and images have been built to accommodate the speed and scale of the car. 
it definitely affected the aesthetic of my work. And I basically had to take all of the ideas that I had and break them down to very, very basic, simple ideas that people could process in a split second. Because I realized that a lot of the work I was doing didn't really seem to be resonating with anyone. And I kind of picked up that that was because you couldn't really see what was going on in the imagery from a car as you were passing by. So I simplified a lot of things. And that's a, a big reason why the, the clone is very, very simply just a big silhouette with only a couple little points of detail. I just made it an entire just black silhouette and it instantly became recognizable from 100 feet or from very close up. The most recent big scale thing that you have done here in Los Angeles was the Fox billboard, which was up in Silver Lake. How did you decide that's what I want to do? I'm sure Fox would consider it vandalizing. I'm always interested about the way that people look at, at vandalization of property because I kind of have a very different view of vandalization. I was raised in a more rural area or a smaller city that wasn't billboard obsessed and definitely not ad, ad culture obsessed. And to me, all of that, I look at the way that we go about building modern cities as vandalization. I don't think that uh, having 4,000, 10,000 billboards planted all over a city is meant for anything other than trying to constantly sell you something. And for me, that's vandalization of my eyes and my brain. So the billboards are asking for it? Yes, in my opinion. So I started vandalizing billboards because it was my way of fighting back against this constant ad culture, this constantly being sold or marketed something at all times, whether I wanted it or not. And it was my way to say, I'm not okay with this. And, you know, what you're doing is, to me, is just as much a negative thing as maybe how you interpret what I do. With the Fox billboard, I saw an opportunity to speak on some issues that are really important to me. And I wanted to do it in a very profound way that really caught people's attention because I, my whole goal with art is to get the conversation going. I want you to engage. I want you to have a reaction. I know it's not always going to be positive. I think that that is the number one goal for me as a street artist. I don't have a high opinion of Fox News because I think they fabricate a lot of the information they put out as fact. And I think that they lie a lot. And I think that they prop up an administration that is really hurting the country. So I wanted to call them out for it. How long did it take you to plan and how long to execute this? I can imagine this is sort of a lightning operation. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting with billboards, you can't ever tell how long. They might be up for a couple of weeks. They might be up for a month. They might be up for two months. From the time I actually guess you could say set eyes on one of the billboards to the execution was about two weeks. You had several people working on it. How long did it take all of you up there to pull it off? Um, probably two and a half hours. I presume this was very late at night. It went very smoothly, other than a couple of brief pauses for some cars that went by that we had to watch go by and make sure they weren't going to come back. We were very fortunate, and sometimes it's, I sort of feel like I have an angel looking over me when I do them because some of the situations and the things that have happened, they just lead me to believe that I really am doing the right thing, that I really am meant to be doing what I'm doing because it should have gone very differently. 
you use um, a fake name to protect your identity, and what you're doing really is against the law. It's trespass or vandalism, whatever you want to call it. You've been lucky, or have you had to deal with facing the consequences on occasion? Oh, no, I've had to face the consequences on occasion. Ironically, I do a lot of work in in very rural places, in abandoned places, and that's where I've had to actually face the most consequences, at locations that are completely derelict and have been abandoned for who knows how many years. That's where they seem to care the most. And I don't know why that is, but but yeah, I've, I've had to face the consequences, and it's not fun, but I really feel as though... I believe in what I do wholeheartedly, and I feel like that I am doing something for good. So to me, that risk is worth it, and that consequence is worth it in the end, because I would rather have lived a life where I felt like I had at least tried to do some good and not just sat idly by, even if that resulted in jail time or some fines. No jail time so far? No, I've had jail time. Yeah, jail time and fines. Some fines I'm still paying off in different states and had to go to jail in different states. (laughs) (laughs) Has any judge said to prosecutors, get out of here, this is nothing? I had a judge in Colorado who laughed at the prosecutors when they asked for the amount of restitution that they asked. That's absolutely ridiculous. I'm not going to ask someone to pay that for. It was for some electrical boxes that I had put the clone on. They were asking like $35,000 in restitution. I told my lawyer, I said, I can drive from L.A., paint those in one, you know, in one night, paint them back to their original color and drive back to L.A. for less than $1,000. In other cases, my lawyer has actually been able to show that what I had done had actually improved the value of the property. Your most audacious project, which drew a lot of attention, positive attention from tourists and some locals and negative attention from the authorities, was in Lyme, Oregon, an abandoned concrete plant called the Valley of Secret Values, where you painted monster-sized luxury handbags, Chanel and Hermes and Louis Vuitton. What were you saying in portraying these giant multi-thousand-dollar handbags, and what happened? When you looked at these, before I had painted them, when you looked at these giant concrete monoliths, they all, to me, looked like giant bags. So I immediately thought there was this metaphor that spoke to the ephemeral nature of all material goods that we consume. I'm an advocate for sustainability and and reuse and recycling, and I would like to see the companies that make a lot of products that we consume embrace the sustainability format. I'm not against buying goods. I'm an advocate for um, things that are produced ethically and sustainably and that are well-made so that I don't have to buy a new iPhone every year. So this installation of these massive painted handbags attracted tourists. People came to see it, but the local authorities said, oh, no, we can't have this. It's a danger. We have to shut it down. They blamed me for making it into this um, this dangerous tourist attraction. And to be fair to them, the place was dangerous. And if you didn't know what you were doing, but it had been sitting abandoned since 1982. People already visited it. But I feel as though after I started painting the bags, it definitely increased the amount of people that were stopping there. And the authorities got really upset about it. So how did you feel when 
they got bulldozed. As a street artist, nothing lasts. Your stuff always comes down. It's not meant to last, but is the opportunity for it to last. You would like to see that. And I was extremely disappointed to hear that they had decided to tear it down because I actually had approached them about trying to make it something that could be a tourist attraction and actually could bring money into the local communities around it, but they didn't want to hear any of it. Do you ever look to see how people react to your work, whether it's Lyme, Oregon, or Los Angeles? I do pay attention to um, how my work is being received and whether or not people are engaging in conversation or in debate over it, because if you're going to put stuff out in a public space, then I kind of feel as though you owe it to all those people to be engaged in the conversation instead of just putting it out and then disappearing and not saying anything about it. Thrashbird, thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much, Pat. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's engineered by Dave Wine and Mike Heflin and edited by Heflin. The music is Andy Warhol by David Bowie on RCA Records. Subscribe to Pat Morrison Asks and never miss a podcast.